Hello everyone, Zach here from the Carnival of Randomness on behalf of our sponsor, Opsitnik & Associates. In these unprecedented times, we reflect on our future, both in the next few weeks and months, but also the upcoming years and decades, and it's time to prepare for that future. Opsitnik & Associates has been contacted by many healthcare workers, as well as old and new clients, to prepare wills, powers of attorney, and advanced directives, also called a living will. All of you need these documents. So don't say you don't have any assets to speak of, no children or other dependents. Regardless of the circumstances now, you will need a will for today and tomorrow. Al Opsitnik feels so strongly about having wills and other needed documents prepared that Opsitnik and Associates can prepare your will, power of attorney, and living will at no charge, you heard that correct, no charge until the end of 2020. No hidden fees or gimmicks. Al feels so strongly about planning for the future at this time that he is willing to assist you with your future. Trust Opsitnik & Associates, attorneys for 42 years, from the Supreme Court to Alaska and everywhere in between. You can find them online, OpsitniksLaw.com, on Facebook, Opsitnik & Associates, or call them toll-free, 1-866-391-3299 to prepare for your future. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Carnival of Randomness. Your antidote for nerd culture and a breath of fresh craziness in what's going on out there. I am Zach and you join me once again in my living room. And it's a nice day out so I've got the windows open. So it might sound a little different. You might hear some birds, but just trying to enjoy the decent weather as long as it lasts. And anybody in the Rochester area knows exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, I'm still at home because... Like the rest of the country, we still should be staying, staying home until everything gets settled down. And it got me to thinking. I've been reading a lot of books and watching a lot of TV. I've blown through probably I don't know, a dozen or so books in the little over a month that this thing has been going on. And it got me to thinking about some older stuff that I haven't thought about in a while. You probably haven't thought about in a while either. But stuff that we remember from our childhood. And that is the idea of the American Tall Tale. Now this is something I've wanted to do an episode on for a while and I figured, hey, you know what the hell, now's the perfect time to do it. Just to give you a very brief definition, a tall tale is like those old fish stories that you would hear. Like, oh, the fish was so big when we brought it up it capsized the boat, things like that. You know, basically just exaggerations that have grown over time. Every culture has them and I'm focusing on the ones that I remember from growing up and look at some of them to see maybe where they came from because a lot of them do have that little grain of truth and basically their exploits were then grossly exaggerated over the years. But I figure we, it would be something different. So I'm going to go down just the American ones. I know every culture has theirs, like I said, but I'm looking at the ones that I remember vividly just going through them and going down memory lane in the literary area and just seeing what we got. Kicking it right off, I'd like to start with the one that pretty much when you mentioned the idea of the American tall tale that the majority of people will think about, and that would be the legendary Paul Bunyan, the giant lumberjack and woodsman of incredible strength and stature whose exploits over the years included dragging his axe behind him, which dug the Grand Canyon and clear-cutting entire forests with one blow, along with his ever-present companion, Babe the, the Big Blue Ox, 
But looking at it, I from what I understand and what I can remember, the idea of Paul Bunyan began basically as, a, as you know, the campfire stories that the loggers would tell each other in the northern part of the U.S. and probably even southern part of Canada. And for, I also know that in the early 1900s, somebody put out a pamphlet for a logging company, or a lumber company, I should say, and it featured a caricature and the idea of this giant woodsman, and that's what really took it off into popularity. Nothing that I've ever found has given his has given any sort of basis on any sort of figure, but that hasn't stopped probably close to a dozen cities in the upper part of the United States from claiming to be the birthplace of Paul Bunyan. Depending on who you ask, I've seen him going from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, even up as far as Maine. But the one I think that kind of is accepted, or the most accepted as quote-unquote fact, is Paul Bunyan being from the area of Bemidji, Minnesota. Though I don't really know why Bemidji would have to try to claim the fictional birthplace of a tall tale character, as they actually are the curling capital of the United States. But anyway, it makes sense that he would come from an old logging area where the lumberjacks would sit around and just tell stories, and again, that's how we're, that's where a lot of these came from. And in a book I had when I was younger, for the life of me, I cannot remember it, it was basically a picture book giving a very brief overview of the American Tall Tales. The one thing I always remember about Paul Bunyan was he was so big with such a voracious appetite that some dude had to strap hunks of lard on his feet and skate across a giant griddle so they could cook him pancakes. Which, you know, all things considering in the logging industry might be one of the safer jobs out there. So anyways, there you have example number one, probably the one when I said American Tall Tales. That, I'll bet you that's where your mind went. But interestingly enough about Paul Bunyan and doing my research for this, I actually came across a character I had never heard of. Uh, the character by the name of Cordwood Pete, who in the Tall Tale world was the younger brother of Paul Bunyan. And while Paul Bunyan, they say, was the giant of a man, apparently uh, Cordwood Pete grew to a height of less than five feet, mainly because he was unable to get food because Paul ate everything. But in borrowing his brother's axe one day, Cordwood Pete apparently swung it and couldn't stop it and clear-cut, I think, around, a, I think it said, a hundred acres. And he was then hired by a, lo a locomotive company and a railroad company to clear a path for their trains to go through, and he... At the end of the day, apparently clear-cut 50 square miles, but upon returning the axe to Paul Bunyan, Cordwood Pete never again was able to do that, and his nickname came from the fact that they thought he was more suited to cutting cordwood rather than felling trees. I'd never heard of him. I think it's an interesting one. And even more interesting that instead of the giant blue ox, he had a donkey by the name of Tamarack. And interestingly, even though he was a fictional character... I have read accounts that somebody confirmed that he died at the age of 84. Moving along from the lumber industry, we're going to go to the westward expansion and head down to the south to the Texas region where I remember reading about the legendary Pecos Bill, one of the greatest frontiersmen of all time, one of the greatest cowboys of all time, so good that he was able to not only lasso but also break and ride a tornado.
and the stories of his legendary cowboy exploits go back to the time when he was growing up using a rattlesnake as a lasso to break the or to get the horse and using a smaller snake as a snake rather as a whip riding his horse called depending on who you read it's either widowmaker or lightning because no man could other than pecos bill could ride the horse but i do remember he also was a huge proponent of consuming dynamite as his favorite food and sometimes even rode a mountain lion cougar if you will rather than a horse and that one from what i've always found it was he was just somebody that was created during the pioneer times or as coming out of the pioneer times rather uh looks like the earliest i have been able to find was early 1900s 1917 again so right around the time of world war one where a texan i believe he was a texan edward o'reilly collected a lot of these things called the saga of pecos bill although at the time i believe he was called pecos pete maybe somebody can check me on that but he was another one and i always remember i vividly remember the picture in the book because there's this guy in a cowboy hat not a giant but a normal looking cowboy riding on a tornado like a bucking bronco and now for all you nautical fans going to the one i remember simply as storm along though upon further research he had a name captain alfred bulltop storm along the one of the greatest sailors and a giant they say 30 feet tall with a clipper ship so big that the masts had to be hinged else else they scrape the moon but the story behind storm along looks like it comes from the old sea shanties you know folk songs and whatnot but the legend goes beached as a baby in the new england region he outgrew Cape Cod because it, it, as a baby, he was already, as they say, three fathoms or 18 feet tall. Moved to Boston and took upon himself to become a sailor. Signed aboard the first ship that would take him and then had a life at sea. In an interesting crossover between several different mythologies, as you were, or if you will, he had the lifetime rivalry with the Kraken, the giant squid monster from the Norse mythology. Several accounts about Stormalong, which is the best part about these tall tales, is that so many people have so many different accounts of what they did. They say his demise came from when he angered a steamboat captain because he dumped water down the bar the um the stack thinking that the boat was on fire. So the steamship captain, in a fit of rage, challenged Stormalong to a race across the Atlantic. And though Stormalong won, his age was so advanced by that point. The crossing was just too much for him, and as he made it, he simply his body simply gave up. And naturally, as would be expected for one of the greatest seamen of all time, buried at sea and welcomed with open arms into Davy Jones's locker. Now this next one, another of the legendary figures, is one very near and dear to my heart. Possibly one of the lesser known tall tales but growing up in pittsburgh even though it was after the steel mills had closed down it was still a steel town and there was always the tales of the greatest steel man to ever live you ever notice that how i've been as i've been doing this i've been thinking about it. everybody that i've mentioned obviously was the greatest of something but anyway we have the legendary joe magarats spelled magarak pronounced magarats because it came from the croatian word for donkey or jackass the mighty Joe Magarats, 
was a man made of steel working in a steel mill. Not ironic at all, but he was a man of legendary size and strength who was purported to be able to do the work of 29 men all by himself, mainly because being made of steel himself, he was able to work 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. He won the hand of the beautiful Mary Mestrovich in marriage after winning a, weight co a weightlifting contest, but taking pity on her, he permitted her to marry her true love. But the one thing, as all these tall tales go, is the demise. Now, the end of Joe Magarats came from the tale that he melted himself down in a furnace to give the, the mill the material it needed to build a new mill. Some say he's still around. Some stay, some say, not stay, that he waits in an old abandoned steel mill, waiting for the day for the furnaces to be lit. I don't know about that, but I just remember hearing that story a lot when I was a kid, because coming from a steel town, he was the patron saint of the steel workers. I think he actually moves up into the 30s from when somebody heard the tale from the Eastern European immigrants to Pittsburgh who were working in the mills, and they came up with the, the tale of the mighty Joe Magarats. But if you've heard of him, props to you, because not a lot of people have. Sometimes I've mentioned him and people are looking at me like I have no idea what's going on. But if you know Pittsburgh at all, they had uh, at the theme park Kennywood, I believe there used to be the old picture of Joe, or the old picture of Joe Magarats outside one of the rides. So he is very much ingrained in the culture of the city of Pittsburgh. Now that was just some of the ones that were essentially fabricated by the different cultures that I can recall. I'm sure there's a lot more, but I'm just going back and thinking to what I remember. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to move into the ones that were based on a true person and whose exploits just grew and grew over the years. Probably the most well-known of that would be Johnny Appleseed because what people actually hopefully do know is that he was a real person. Born John Chapman in 1770-something, mid-1770s, in the Massachusetts area. Uh, he was a basically a pioneer and a nurseryman, and his thing, where he got the name Johnny Appleseed, he, would, he walked from where he was born in Massachusetts down through New York and Pennsylvania and all through, I think, even southern Ontario into Ohio, Illinois, and Indiana, and planted apple trees because from what i've read is he was told by his guardian angel to do this whether or not that's true but the fact remains is that john chapman johnny appleseed was a real man and did spread apple trees and from all accounts was a very kind and generous man died at the age of 70 in 1845 so okay i looked it up 1774 he was born but he died in Fort Wayne, Indiana in 1845 at the age of 70. And as a tribute to him spending his final years in the Fort Wayne area, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, a minor league baseball team, is named after him because the logo, if I can recall correctly, is an apple wearing a tin pot on his head as Johnny Appleseed was said to do. Rather than carrying it, he would wear his cook pot as a hat. Now, moving on to another one that a lot of people have probably heard of in one form or fashion is the legendary frontiersman, pioneer, explorer, Daniel Boone. Uh, a lot of people, actually myself included, you know, for a while thought that he was so ingrained with the South and especially because he was the one who really basically explored what is now known as Kentucky. He figured he would be from the South. No, actually he was from Eastern Pennsylvania, born 
in Berks County in 1734. Again, another real person. He's a little different in that I believe unlike many of the other figures, he actually was alive at the time that his legend was growing. Uh, there was all these accounts that really sensationalized everything, though. He was quite a, quite an interesting person in his own right, a soldier as well. He fought in the French and Indian Wars and in the American Revolution. The one thing a lot of people forget or never knew is he actually got into politics near the end of his life. And looking at it, he was a member of the Virginia House of Delegates for six years at one stretch and then moved on to do another short stint a few years after that. Just quite an interesting man. He's always remembered in more of a folk hero fashion than as an actual person. And he even said that later on in his life. He was actually quoted, uh, Many heroic actions and chivalrous adventures are related of me, which exist only in the regions of fancy. With me, the world has taken great liberties, and yet I have been but a common man. And that's kind of interesting. Like I say, I don't know of too many others that were alive during the time of their legendary status, but doesn't really seem like he let anything uh, get too out of hand. Kind of sticking with the theme of the Wild West and the frontier brings us to another legendary frontiersman who also did later enter politics, uh, Davy Crockett. He, I don't believe, was still alive when his legendary status was because he actually died at the Battle of the Alamo. Uh, very young, I think, yeah, 49 years old when he died at the Battle of the Alamo in 1836. He was an interesting one in that after his death, long after, since he died in 1836, came a lot of just more and more attributions to his status as an explorer and a pioneer, and even gave way to movies and TV shows. Uh, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier, what they called him. But actually, he got into politics, like I said before, just like Daniel Boone did, but he got in at a higher level. He actually was a U.S. congressman for several years, and... If I'm not mistaken, he was the one who actually saved the would-be assassin of Andrew Jackson from Jackson assaulting him with a cane. And since we're on the topic of the Alamo, uh, another person who met his end at the Alamo fighting for what was then the Republic of Texas, which now obviously is just the state of Texas, with Jim Bowie. Very me a lot of attributions to him as a frontiersman and a pioneer, helping to establish at that time the Republic of Texas. Very high-ranking uh, military officer, colonel, I believe. He will forever be remembered as the inventor of the famed Bowie knife, one that's still quite popular to this day among a lot of different people. Well, I know the previous two kind of interlaced and were a little shorter than the others, but that was the thing. It, it, and, I, and it makes me wonder... What about the pioneer times and the frontier times was so romantic, one might say, that people would think up all these stories to really create characters like Pecos Bill or inflate the uh, reputations of people like Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, Jim Bowie, and the like. I don't know. Maybe it was just with the time period and just how the way people were, but I think that's something interesting to consider. Uh, I actually can tie this next one in. Uh, to the military, and I had only heard about him when I was watching a show on History Channel called uh, The Strongest Man in History. It was 
four of the world's strongest man competitors would go around and try to repeat legendary feats of strength. And the one, they went to Virginia to do it, to take on a man by the name of Peter Francisco, who was a soldier with George Washington in the Revolutionary War, known as, uh, among many names, as the Virginia Giant, because I think he was... Six foot seven or six foot eight, somewhere around 300 or so pounds. So, a giant of a man, especially in those times. He actually was um, a Portuguese born uh, from the Azores Islands and came to America and and really fell in love with the country so much that when the Revolutionary War began, he joined the American side. His feat of strength and why he obtains kind of tall tale status was the story where he lifted and carried off of the field an 1,100-pound cannon, hefted it onto his shoulder and carried it off so the enemy couldn't get it. Now, interestingly, when the World's Strongest Men guys looked at that, the one thing that they kind of dispelled was it was not an 1,100-pound cannon, which is, I would say, physically impossible, but the fact that the whole apparatus including the wheels and the base, were 1,100 pounds. The barrel itself, I think they reckoned about over three, between three and 400 pounds, which that alone is an impressive feat of strength. But there's documentation, I believe even from George Washington himself, describing this act. And he also, I believe, back in the 90s, was featured on a postage stamp with the, the cannon barrel on his shoulder carrying it off of the battlefield. I kind of want to bring this one to a close and talk about one of the more interesting characters in that most historians do believe that he was a real person, yet no one can really seem to agree on the details of his life, and that would be the legendary steel-driving man John Henry. According to history, he was a freed slave who went to work on the railroad and was such a prestigious or prodigious steel driver that his skill was put to test against a, steel a steam-powered steel-driving machine to go through a tunnel. Most of the ones that they say it was, was was Big Ben Tunnel in West Virginia. And John Henry was able to beat the steam-powered machine only for his heart to give out from stress just as he finished. So he died on the railroad tracks with his hammer in his hand. And there is, I believe, a statue of John Henry at the exit of Big Ben Tunnel. I think the one thing that is most enduring about John Henry is that he was the true hero of the people, the man against the machine, showing that workers were just as good, if not better, than these newfangled machines which were going to put them all out of business. So quite a romantic story and definitely one of the more recognizable tall tale figures in Americana. Well, I think that's going to do it for this literary walk down memory lane. I'm glad you came along with me, and I hope you enjoyed it, giving us a chance to think back to some of the tall tales, stories, and folklore, and you know, even fairy tales that we grew up with and haven't thought about in a long time. And I know this one wasn't as long as some of the previous shows, but I'm still really getting used to this whole talking to myself thing. As much as it seems that I do love to hear myself speak, it's kind of weird when I don't have somebody else to bounce it off of. But I would really like to wrap it up with something we haven't done in a very long time, probably not since one of our early episodes, is try to do a book recommendation. And right now especially, it might be a little hard to actually obtain books with libraries being shut down and many bookstores being shut down. But I'll bet you that out there somewhere in the National Archive libraries and 
or any place where you get your audiobooks, you could probably find it. And for this one, because we covered quite a vast array of subjects, I can't really recommend one book in particular. But I would say, see if you can find a book like I had when I was a kid. Even a children's book of the American Tall Tales. And the good thing about kids' books, a lot of time, is they present to you the base knowledge that you need to know in a very short and easy to understand format. And sometimes that's just really fun for a nice little quick read or to brush up on something. Or... Look at some of the ones that were based off of real people. See if they have a biography out there somewhere. I know I have read one on Johnny Appleseed, and I'm fairly positive that you know, Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett have to have some out there. Or even see if there's any just American folklore story compilation books. You know, See if there's any we missed. If there's any good ones that you think I should know about that I may not, shoot us a line. Shoot me an email. Uh, so check us out on the website, carnivalofrandomness.com, and stay tuned for more future stuff. Hopefully by then I'll have my act a little more together. So stay safe, stay indoors, stay happy, stay listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye, everybody!